What is up, podcast? Hey, Drew, back with another episode of Unscripted. Uh, I want to apologize to everybody for the bye week. Uh, I had some major life events going on in the past couple weeks. Um, For folks that are dog lovers out there, my pug of 16 years passed away, and it was... um, it was absolutely devastating uh, to the family here, um, and obviously if you're not a dog lover, I don't know um, if you'll understand that, but uh, it is the first time in 17 plus years that I've not had a dog in the house, um, so trying to tend to the wife and whatnot has been really challenging. Uh, leading up to that, I was actually getting the Scrambler ready to race um, in Kentucky Cross Country, taking care of the 350 and uh, taking on a new position helping Kentucky Cross Country uh, racing this year, uh, which actually leads into the topic. Um, because I took that bye week and uh, had uh, you know missed an opportunity to sit back and talk to guests and whatnot, I was like, you know what? Let's talk about what goes into racing an adventure bike. Um, and specifically, I'm going to talk about the Scrambler. I, I don't know for sure. Uh, lots of people at the race on Facebook and whatnot have seen the evolution that the Scrambler has gone through in recent days, recent weeks. Lots of questions from different people about you know what I've done to it. So I did a full write-up that's on the blog that gets into the techie details and whatnot. But, uh, hey, not everybody wants to sit around and read 2,500 words about uh, six years of dreaming on building some kind of scrambler race bike thing. So I'm like, you know what, we'll try to turn it into a podcast. And not just that, but also talk about specifically, you know, what it was like to race the scrambler in Clay City, which is, uh, to date, not necessarily this race, but that location has been the hardest place that I've had to race. It's been the most frequent, but also the most difficult. Um, so I thought folks might be interested in that. So, uh, we'll start from the beginning, uh, 2016, I decided I wanted to buy some kind of adventure bike, uh, was going to buy either a triumph tiger on finance, uh, trade my my Speedmaster to get that and or I buy a Scrambler outright with cash and that's the way that I went. Uh, the Scrambler was kind of a silly off-road adventure bike. Most people uh, either have been listening to that podcast for a long time or you know listen to the blog or whatever or read but the Scrambler's got like five inches of suspension travel in the front, barely four in the rear um, and it's a big 500 pound street bike. Um, and I think that's part of it, right? Because it was like super customizable. It was beautiful. It was ultra functional. It was something I knew I could change the valves on and ride every day. So I got this idea in my head that I would just beef up the suspension and cut weight off the bike and it would be a great off-road bike. Uh, it's a great off-road engine, but it doesn't change the fact that it's a 490, 500 pound bike, even after all the things I've done with it. But if you get silly kicks from stupid things, it's great. And if not, I hope uh, I hope I'm putting on a good show for people. Um, so, I mean, over the years, I've done uh, a lot of different suspension upgrades. I've done uh, you know various things to set up and make it more comfortable and whatnot. But specific to getting it ready to race. I was going to do the suspension for adventure stuff anyway, but it's relevant to actually racing. So I spent the money on a new set of Olin shocks during the pandemic. Uh, They were gently used with, I don't know, 200 miles on them or something like that. So I got those from A&J Cycles on discount. Those are, I don't know, three quarters of an inch longer than stock, if I remember correctly. Adds a little bit more suspension travel. Well, I'm still dealing with, you know, like five inches of travel in the back. Uh, I also got 
plus it's about plus an inch plus an inch and a quarter in the front so i've got like full six inches of travel in the front with um these special dampener adapters that go to it and olin springs and preload adjusters in the front so the the bike is basically an inch taller than it would be stock that's not a lot to brag about but it's a massive improvement in handling um, and in recent days, I actually went ahead and, and bought softer springs for those shocks. It was sprung for somebody that was over 200 pounds, and I've actually lost a bunch of weight this spring. Uh, so I actually needed to go down, and I'm glad I did because the race turned out a lot better after um, how stiff it had been before. Uh, another functional change would be I changed the steel handlebars out for Pro Taper ATV high bars. So if scrambler files that are listening that is what you want to look for the atv high handlebars are the closest to the stock bend the sweep is actually a little bit closer to you which actually makes riding on the street and off-road to me a little bit more comfortable i like my hands canted a little bit more i don't really like the straight bar as much different strokes for different folks um, forever ago, I had put bar risers on the bike because it's really uncomfortable to stand on the scrambler and go downhill for long periods of time. Uh, I really suffered in North Carolina when I first bought it when I did that. Uh, but I had kept the two-inch risers, or the two-inch rocks risers that I had bought for the CRF250L before I sold it. And I really like the rocks risers because that means not only are the handlebars two inches taller, but I can actually rotate the bars forward. And it's really relevant on the Scrambler. Um, it's a joke among friends, but the Triumph Scrambler's a cruiser depending on who you're talking to. I mean, I would call it a standard bike or you know, your neutral seating position, but your feet are in front of you. They're not under you. So when you stand up in the stock position, the bars are actually too close to you to get leverage on the bike the right way. Um, so while I don't like the handlebars being forward of the triple tree or the forks, rolling them forward opens up the rider triangle and the cockpit a little bit. So I feel like I have more control of the bike versus having my hands really close to my hips. And it's important to steer with your feet and get your weight back in the right conditions and whatnot. But it just it made the ergonomics better for riding off-road. Uh, I had to do new brake lines to do that um, just because I, I had added, you know, an inch of suspension travel plus, you know, two inches of rise. So the three inches was a lot to ask out of the stock brake line. So I redid those. Uh, after that, the front sprocket cover was like the big artsy fartsy type project. But ultimately, my biggest concern was I've had to replace the output shaft seal on the scrambler already. Um, for folks that don't know, that bike's got like upwards of 80,000 miles on it. Um, but I had to redo that output shaft seal back at, I don't know, I think it was like 40,000 miles or something like that. So I wanted to make sure that I got as much dirt to be shed out of the sprocket cover as I could. Lots of these street bikes and even dual sports, the CRF250L was no different. They've got a sprocket cover to keep you from getting your pants and stuff stuck in the chain. And that's great, but it's awful when you get into you know a muddy race or you're riding in the clay and whatnot. Uh, with that, I also, um, it's funny because some people commented on Instagram, I downgraded from a 18-tooth front sprocket to a 17-tooth. I've done this for years. As soon as I started riding the Scrambler off-road, I had spent the money on a 17-tooth front sprocket. Basically, it just means that I can idle a little bit more. Um, it means I don't have to work the clutch quite as much because you definitely don't need the top end when you're riding off-road. Like, 
getting in third gear would probably be a big deal in a lot of off-road conditions, uh, at least the, you know, Kentucky adventure type stuff that I like to do. Um, so that helps. I, I would go as far as to say that if I was going to get real wild and like get a second set of wheels and some stuff, I would probably add a couple teeth to the rear just to make it a little bit easier um, to squeeze the clutch. Um, the next thing was I put dirt bike fenders on the scrambler and that was kind of unintentional. I had wanted to get the rear stock fender off of that bike for a long time. It's made out of metal. It's not as heavy as, you know, you might think that the stock brake lights and all that crap is extremely heavy. And the metal fender to me, it's not, I don't know. I guess it was just ugly if I put short pipes on it. We'll get more into that in a second. So I was like, I want to do a fender for this. I had grabbed the KTM front fender and just held it up to the bike and was shocked when I realized I'm like, I can actually make a, a little L bracket mounted on the same bolts that hold up the rectifier and I could put a front fender on this. And I looked at it and I'm like, well, that'll be interesting, even if it's not super functional. But I knew if I was going to race in Clay City, I'm like, I'm going to encounter mud like this bike has probably never seen before, despite how much time I have spent riding in Kentucky and doing the Daniel Boo Backcountry Byway. So I'm like, I'm going to go for it. The standard front fender is plastic and it's lightweight and I put a fender extender on it because I'm trying to keep all of the mud out of the oil cooler. Uh, I learned right away from riding off road, especially down there on gravel roads and whatnot. There's so much limestone and whatnot in it. As soon as the tires go through puddles and whatnot, it throws all the limestone up on the oil cooler and I'm worried about it caking up in the bike uh, overheating. So I had put a fender extender, excuse me, a fender extender onto the front fender and it did a great job of keeping it off there but again you know it's it's an inch off of the the tire especially if you're on a knobby so there's not really that much space normally my advice for people is if you're riding an adventure bike off road and you are that concerned that you're going to get into mud that it's going to lock up the front wheel i'm going to question how serious you are about taking an adventure bike to really inappropriate places. Uh, Longtime listeners know, obviously, I have Andy Janik on the show. I've had several other people that, in my opinion, are very aggressive, big bike adventure, off-road type people. But for the average person, I, I just, I really think you're taking the wrong tool to go do something if you're worried that, well, I need a high fender because I don't want the front front wheel to get stuck. And I'm like, uh, if you're in mud that's that bad, you're in for just a bad day. Like I, you have, you either have skills that I can't imagine, you and Chris Birch are buddies, uh, and I, I can't fathom the talent that you have to go through that stuff, or you're gonna have a bad day, high fender or no high fender. So that point aside, I put a dirt bike fender on the front of the bike because it looked cool. Um, and after racing, and this is kind of a, a, a post-review type situation, I also left the fork brace in place. The stock fender attaches to like a, a steel fork brace that goes in between them, and it keeps the forks in line. Because I knew I was going to be racing, because I know the number of times I've dropped the bike and pounded into trees and had to straighten my forks and all kinds of other stuff, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to leave this in there. If I was going to ride around town and goof off and not really care, I would probably take it out because it's still an obstacle. If I really am in the mud and clay, which I was in, absolute peanut butter, then that fork brace is an issue. It did cake up pretty bad, but I think it still functions, so it's okay. But it's, it is something that I had to think about. So at any rate, I put a dirt bike fender on the front, 
it's more angular than I like as far as aesthetics are speaking, but it, it worked out pretty good. It did not do a very good job of protecting the oil cooler. I may have to look into fabricating some kind of skirt or something because I want the oil cooler to be a little cleaner than it ended up being. I did put a guard in front of the oil cooler to make sure that like rocks and gravel and stuff didn't tear it up. So that's good, um, but I need to work on that some more. The back fender is really the ironic thing. Um, for folks that read the blog, I was just thumbing around on Facebook, on, uh, I'm trying to think all the custom bike websites, you know, I don't know, it was a pipe burn or whatever it was, but like all, all of the custom scrambler builds and I was looking at rear fenders and I just, I wasn't happy with any of them. Uh, like I said, I went to Spiegler Performance and they sell LSL. LSL makes an amazing rear fender. I would love to have $250, $280. Rear fender, integrated brake light, you have to buy the turn signal separate, a bunch of other stuff. I'm like, that is that is an insane amount of money. It's absolutely gorgeous, but I can't bring myself to spend it. So I'm thumbing around on Rocky Mountain looking at tires and whatnot, and I see dirt bike fender being suggested since I bought that front fender. And I start poking around some more, and I realize 2004 Suzuki RM125 fender has a shape that I really like. So I take a gamble on $24, and I order it. It comes to the house. Uh, I took the rear fender and everything off the back of the bike and I held it to the bike and it fits like it was designed to be there. It had a couple like weird shaped flat pieces um, because that's where it like f molds to the air box and you bolt it together and whatnot. So I took a razor blade and I just, you know, went over the same place over and over again and bent and broke those pieces off. I drilled four holes in it, mounted it exactly with the existing mounting holes for the stock fender. Uh, and it fit right on there and drilled a couple holes to put a, a bracket that I fabricated to put the brake lights and turn signals on the back with a license plate and whatnot and uh, used some special zip tie stickies to, you know, run the cable for the brake lights back in there and we were good to go. But I knew racing, I was just going to remove all that stuff. So I pulled that stuff off of there and then, you know, basically that was less weight hanging off the back of the bike. Uh, and what I was mentioning earlier, people who have seen the bike in photographs and if they've heard it in person, it's ungodly loud because I took the, technically I have Triumph off-road mufflers on it, but they weigh 12, 14 pounds, something like that. So I took that bracket and both those mufflers off and I bought years ago, um, Volkswagen Beetle exhaust tips. They're, I think they were $35 on Amazon and basically they're just plugs there's a tiny little baffle in them which i swear does virtually nothing um, but to remove 14 pounds from the bike uh, not have any of that stuff on the rear end i mean the bike handles completely different like it literally feels faster maybe it's just sound um, and the engine is a snarling angry warthog but it, it you know the, the bike handles way better off-road because i don't have so much weight bouncing up and down on the rear shocks and like I said, I'm just one less thing to deal with, so I'm happy about that. But it's loud, but it made for a great video. Uh, and the last big piece to talk about was tires. Be you know, Normally, adventure tires, people have listened to the podcast know that I'll harangue about adventure tires. I've written endless blogs about adventure tires and what I've used. And, and to date, you know, Shinko 804 on the front, um, probably a Metzler Crew 3 on the back. I've probably spent more time on that bike than anything else I've ever bought. But because I knew I was going to Clay City, I knew I was going to be racing, I wanted the most aggressive tire I could possibly find. 
a Triumph Scrambler has a 19-inch front and a 17-inch rear. And with that, while it has a 19-inch front that's similar to the Tiger 800, the rear tire is a 130-80-17. Most people that are adventure people know that they're probably running a 150 rear tire. Uh, so that 130 is particularly skinny. And after years, like I've seen it, I mean, I could get a 150 for it and whatnot, but I've, I've actually been happy with the 130. And the huge advantage is that's the same rear tire that's on the KLR. And I think it's the BMW F650GS. I think the F650GS actually has the exact same tire set that's on the Scrambler. But that 130 rear tire is significantly cheaper. And that's one of the reasons why I've stayed with that stock size so long. So I saw Kenda made the Trackmaster 2, which is like one of the most aggressive DOT tires I've ever seen um, outside of uh, like Shinko's MX216, which naturally does not come in a 130. Actually, I don't think they make a 17-inch tire at all unless it's a really skinny one for a front. Um, so I bought that Trackmaster. I think it was a 130-90-17, but it's shockingly flat despite being uh, having a profile 90. So I'm really happy with the way that that tire is shaped. I kind of see me goofing around with that a little bit more, depending on what kind of adventure ride I'm doing. If I'm not riding there, like I, I might take that to the scramble for giggles, uh, that kind of thing. Since I know I'm going to be running a base camp, and I'll probably be trailering it down. Uh, and then the front was a whole other discussion because I was going to do the exact same thing. I was like, well, we'll, we'll put a matching front Kenda Trackmaster on there. And I'm a little bit worried about the Trackmaster doesn't have an, a lot of side lugs. They tend to be, they're a little paddle shaped. Uh, that's the issue with the Shinko 805. To some degree, that's the issue with the Metzler Carew 3. Uh, there's, there's a host of adventure tires that are a, a paddle shape which is great for getting out of the mud, but that means that lateral traction is just downright terrible. Um, so I was really worried about that for the front because to me that is that is the most dangerous thing. It's one thing for me to be mad about fishtailing. It's something else for me to have the front slide out a lot. And I typed in 19-inch tire into a bunch of searches, and Rocky Mountain has a Tusk brand tire that is actually really similar to... Um, I think it's a Shinko 546, which is similar to another brand. Uh, and they make that in a 190-19, which is the, it's the stock size for the Scrambler. It's a rear tire for what I assume is, you know, smaller motocross bikes. I'm not sure most motocross bikes are running, you know, 110. Uh, but yeah, that that's a motocross bike tire. So I'm like, all right, that's cheap. In fact, I think it was cheaper than the Trackmaster. So we put that gnarly big block beast on the front of that thing. Uh, and so at this stage, I guess we'll talk about KXCR racing in the course, and I'll talk more about how the bike did and so on. So for folks unfamiliar, I mean, Clay City, Kentucky is, oh, I want to say half an hour east of Lexington. It is not far from where my family grew up. It is extremely close to, I mean, there are routes for Red River Scramble that go right by uh, that area. Uh, and it's not far from Denny Boomet Country Byway. So it is it is terrain that I know really well. Uh, but the joke is they don't call it Clay City for nothing. Like it, it amazes me how much clay is in that terrain after all of the other places that I have been to off-road. And I don't know if it's because I'm chasing Jeeps uh, so the Jeep trails are beat up and beat down to the bedrock or, or you know, because the topsoil is washed away. I don't, I don't know what it is, but there's no doubt that Clay City has places that never dry 
ever. Uh, and it doesn't take but somebody to sneeze on certain hills and it becomes polished clay that's virtually, you know, like unpassable for most rookies. Uh, so I, I knew I was getting into that, uh, but I had talked to Derek. I mean, Derek's been on the show, and his intent was we're going to have, you know, a novice group, people who have never raced before can come out and do this, um, and then we'll have like a D class um, and then some other stuff, and then we'll have the adventure class, and then after that will be trailer. So I knew I was going to be doing a course that was basically set up to be easy for novice people to give them a chance to experience racing without scaring them away. So that made me feel pretty good because I knew the area. So I think they put together like a three-mile loop um, for this novice section. And I'm going to give a shout-out, and uh, I did it in the YouTube video that will be released soon. But also, as you know, Conrad comes up from Tennessee riding two up on his Africa twin. He's the only other guy that showed up to race with me, and he actually brought – I think he brought a second set of wheels or a second set of tires – and he rode home two up after that. So, you know, the, the two of us are out there um, competing in the, in the woods on what would be a, a novice course for a dirt bike. But uh, it, was, uh, it was soupy clay uh, and awfulness to some degree because it had rained all week. Um, so, but I, I wanted to give him credit for that because he, he attempted the enduro section. Um, I did half of it. I did not go over the big steel pipe because I'm like seven inch suspension travel. I love this bike and intend on riding it and some other stuff, but uh, his Africa twin outclasses the scrambler in every single way. Uh, so cheers to him. And uh, there's some beautiful pictures that um, Bill DeVore took of him taking a stab at that. So my, my hat is off to that guy for putting in all that work for that. But anyway, uh, they, they put together this three-mile course, like I said, of relatively easy stuff. And, and unfortunately, I ride there all the time, so I'm familiar with most of the stuff that we did because it was well-established stuff, uh, despite the fact that it rained all week and wasn't that great. So the course was exactly what I would have wanted to see. Um, and I'm putting this in the podcast to some degree, hoping that other adventure people will go, hey, I want to give this a go. The course itself, in my opinion, was not difficult. The weather is what made it particularly hard. Uh, just like I said, it, it had rained for a week. Had it been dry for three or four days, it would be hilarious how fast some of it was. Uh, I'm putting together a highlight reel because there were sections that when they were dry, I was like, I can't believe I was going that fast on that bike. I don't know if I have ever gone that fast off-road that wasn't a gravel road on that bike. So if the course is dry later this summer, it's going to be amazing to have the adventure class. I think we're going to race there in July. I'm sure we're racing there one other time um, before late in the season. So it, it's going to be awesome there. I'm looking forward to round two. I mean, as we're doing it kind of Tarantino style, we're going to race at um, Three Cat Mountain next. And that's a little drier than it is at Clay City most of the time. So that it'll be interesting to see that. Actually, my mistake, we are racing in Greenup, Kentucky, over near the Ohio River. So that will be interesting. I don't think it's quite as clay-based as Clay City, um, but there's definitely some good dry stuff there in another moto track. So that'll be fun anyway. If it's not snotty from the rain, uh, the Scrambler in particular is a tractor. So it, it's impressive to see what it's able to do. It's just, I, you know, I got caught up. Uh, dealing with the conditions, worried about the front end washing out. Uh, the back end was really, really steering back downhill. Like I said, that track master is a little too paddle shaped. 
So I could be going up a hill, but if I lost momentum, the, the rear tire wanted to point straight downhill, which steered me up the hill a lot. And as long as I stayed on the throttle, it wasn't too bad. Uh, but it, it meant staying on the course got to be quite challenging, depending on how snotty the uphill was. Um, and I want to throw out a caveat. I, I think the course is set up the right way. I think because of the conditions, uh, us guys on adventure bikes were going slow enough that it really didn't end up being an issue. Uh, I was a little bit worried about a whole bunch of the novice riders being on the course. Um, so I, I'm putting that word of caution out. I want more people to come out and race and try it because it's a family uh, that I, the racing family is something that people that have never been part of it can't understand. I didn't understand. I didn't grow up this way. Um, but these are friends that, you know, we exchange, you know, jabs and words of encouragement and all kinds of stuff on Instagram. I mean, these are people I want to beat on race day, but they're like my best friends on the internet throughout the week and whatnot because we've shared this misery together. So I want everyone to come out that has an adventure bike that wants to take things to the next level, learn new skills and, uh, and help build a community. I think that this is an awesome opportunity. It's affordable and, you know, the, the fans are so excited and I'll, I'll try to circle back to that. The caveat I put out there is we are on the course with novice off-road riders. Their bikes are so much more capable than ours off-road that I'm not as worried about it. But I am, you know, really conscious that I'm carrying a 500-pound freight train through the woods. And, and I don't want to blast one of these kids on, on accident. So I, I want to make sure that other people that come join this also have that in their head. But I don't want them to stop them from joining it. Um, so before I get into talking about uh, my own perspective on me and, and how the race went, I want to put out there that it, it played out virtually exactly the way that I thought it would. So they had 300 plus motorcycle racers show up on Sunday. Uh, I don't think it was record attendance because it had rained throughout the week, but it was really, really high, especially considering the conditions for the first round of the season. And two adventure bikes show up to race with a bunch of dirt bikes and all of, you know, a whole bunch of the dirt bike guys are there because they race at noon and we're starting at 10. I mean, I just can't tell you how big people's eyes are to watch these giant street bikes going through the course. And obviously, you know, it's it's muddy. And lots of people will tell you that they broke things and they, they struggled to finish and both the AM and PM race and all kinds of other stuff. So it, I can't say enough also to thank all of the fans for cheering, shouting, and, and you know, giving us encouragement and just the, the experience of what it's like to mix these two crowds. And I'm, and I, you've heard me talk about it with Andy. I'm just, I'm so excited to mix dirt bike people with adventure people, because I think that we have a really, really common interest, even though we approach the world from diametrically different directions. And I think both communities can learn a lot from one another. So especially adventure folks that haven't spent time like myself, I didn't grow up riding dirt bikes. There's a lot about traction and technique that I can learn from the dirt bike community. And then to some degree, you know, maintenance and ways to cheat and get around things. And, I, and I'm sure there's other pieces of the adventure space that folks that ride dirt bikes would be interested in. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, in the video, it's hilarious because Conrad and I exchange places several times in the beginning. You know, he gets a good line and, I, and, and gets around me and I get stuck in the mud or whatnot. And then... You know, we go down a hill somewhere and his front slides out and he takes a tumble and I get a, a pass and it ends up being the slowest hair scramble in history. Uh, but 
as I've said, anytime anyone will listen, adventure bikes are chess, dirt bikes are like checkers. Uh, so it, it does mean lots of planning and thinking and being prepared because doing something once is way better than hitting an obstacle over and over and over again, or worse, picking up your bike, not once, but three times, because then you have, you're totally tapped. Uh, and that's where I came up short. I, I had been on the couch most of the winter. I did not ride off road. I think I had been on the dirt bike maybe four times, maybe five times before this race. Uh, and I didn't think about it until I had already put the knobby tires on it that I'm like, I've been riding this to work, but I've not ridden the scrambler off road since red river scramble 2020. Like that's the last that I can recall, like actually having an off road that wasn't going down a gravel road or going down a know a grass track or something like that so i'm on the starting line and i'm like like super excited i realize i'm you know I'm, I'm competing against one other guy but we're you know we're like the ambassadors for this crazy idea that we're having so hopefully we put on a good show and, and we make it you know look like it's approachable so people will come do it uh but i i've not like i don't know what the bike's gonna do like i was out doing some turns in the cow pasture just like okay what kind of grip do we have out here how good is the brakes gonna work you know how bad is the rear tire gonna spin and all that stuff uh, and that was kind of horrible planning on my part um i didn't mention it earlier and i should have that i had replaced the pegs with pivot pegs and i'm like really glad that i did that because that i'm not gonna say that paid huge dividends but i definitely know those pivot pegs were taller and they've got way better teeth in them and for as much mud as there was it was definitely good that i could i could get some good bite uh despite how much time i probably spent paddling versus standing on the pegs and doing the work like i should uh, but my you know the, the fitness was not good uh i was super nervous because I didn't know what the bike could do. Um, and I'm thankful that it did kind of play out the way I thought that after I had tackled a couple hard obstacles and not gone nose first and tank first into some trees and rocks and whatnot, that I would probably find some confidence, even though I didn't have energy. So that worked out. Uh, but yeah, just being out of practice and whatnot, uh, which leads into I won't want to say the closing thought, but ultimately like I was really happy to find that despite being out of shape, uh, despite not remembering how to ride the Scrambler after being so spoiled on different dirt bikes and even the 250L for so long, uh, that it's amazing how addicting the challenge has become. Uh, so I did two laps. It was like 54 minutes. It's a one-hour race. And after two laps, I mean, I was smoked. The, the first hill itself was not hard but it was amazing how once i crested the hard part this really gentle hill was just covered in you know wet topsoil on top of like clay base so it just like it just slimed and sheeted it, yeah just sheeted right off with the rear tire so i mean i fought the bike for i don't know 100 yards up a gentle hill uh, and for whatever reason, I don't know if it was the tree line or what it was, it was just virtually impossible. And then got to a dry ridge line and it was great. But that first hill just beat the crap out of me, just drained me. And there were multiple other difficult hills after that. And I struggled on those two, but probably nowhere near as much as the first. So at 52 minutes, I sort of come around for two laps. I'm like, if I don't see Conrad pulling in to the start line to take another lap, I'm, I'm just going to call it. And it's two guys... You can tell me to stop being a wimp and, and get there or whatever. Uh, I look forward to people showing up and <laughs> showing me better ways to ride 500-pound bikes because uh, I'm I'm looking forward to photographs of other people making it look awesome. We need that in this world. 
Uh, but I, I was just beat. Um, I probably could have done a third lap, but I knew, you know, at, at an hour in, I'm like, I'm going to be out there for half an hour if I do another lap. And I knew I was going to shoot some pictures in the afternoon. So I'm like, we're good. Um, but looking at the video, uh, sitting here, you know, a week plus later, I'm really excited to get back into it. I've not even put the scrambler back into, you know, street legal mode. It's still wearing the same race knobbies on it and whatnot. So I think I'm going to take it down to Clay City and practice maybe this weekend. Uh, I'm not sure how that's going to play out. Uh, but I, I can't wait to get to, I think it's Three Cat Mountain, or maybe it's Green Up at Soggy Bottom. Anyway, whatever round two is, uh, I'm anxious to get to get the bike out in the woods again and see how it goes. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that more people want to take a stab at it. There were a bunch of adventure bike people there watching. They were on the Kentucky Adventure Tour, but, but Conrad was the only other guy that was uh, ready to put a $10,000 motorcycle uh, on the start line. And uh, I don't, I'll have to ask him if what kind of repairs he did after, if any. Uh, every, every time I saw him take a tumble, it was really low speed, so I think he was in good shape. Uh, and as far as I know, I haven't washed the bike uh, yet, but this week we'll find out if I'm buying any replacement parts. But best I can tell, I think it's good. So uh, for folks that are more interested, I'll post the links in the description um, so you can read the full write-up on the on the Scrambler. And obviously, I'm, I'm open to questions. Hit me at motoadvr at gmail.com if uh, you had questions about the bike or the race series or whatnot. And then uh, depending on when this gets published, there might be a link to the YouTube highlights. Um, and then I've done a full narration of the, the race. I cut out the brakes and whatnot where I'm standing around not doing anything, but narrate, you know, what's going through my head or, you know, what the bike did or whatever. So anyway, uh, this is a little bit change of pace. I'm looking forward to getting some more guests on the show. Bear with me. Uh, like I said, life got in the driver's seat. And now that I'm working for KXCR, working a full-time job, we're probably going to slow down on the podcast releases a little bit. You know, weather's nicer, but I got a lot of work and stuff I've got to do with some different things. Um, but I, I want to get back to continue publishing podcasts as much as I can. Uh, so that's that's going to be it for this week, and uh, we'll catch the listeners down the road.